Alrighty, y'all. So Congress had some interesting hearings last week, ranging from women's rights in sports to Jewish rights on university campuses. And it all comes down to one thing. The leaders of our nation are on crack. This is episode five of Just Say No. I am your host, Noelle. Let's get into it. Okay, so last week we heard from the presidents of a few of our nation's Ivy League colleges. We had Claudine Gay from Harvard, Liz McGill from UPenn, and Sally Kornbluth from MIT. These women testified in front of Congress in regards to the stark increase of anti-Semitism on college campuses over the last few months. A survey conducted by the Anti-Defamation League found that 73% of of Jewish students have experienced or witnessed anti-Semitism on campus since the start of this school year, which just started in August or September. This is up significantly from last year, with only 32% of Jewish students having experienced anti-Semitism on campus. Now, all of this comes in light of the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel and the IDF response in Gaza. So what all of this ultimately boils down to is when asked if calling for the genocide of Jews violates the code of conduct under bullying and harassment, all three presidents answered with, quote, it depends on the context. I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, there is no context in which calling for the genocide of any group of people is ever okay. But we're going to get more into it. So there definitely have been crazy stories coming out of university campuses that when you look at them, it kind of makes sense why this hearing is happening. So, for example, uh, there was a there were protesters at George Mason University who were chanting, quote, they have tanks, we have hang gliders. This is Obviously, a reference to the October 7th attack at the music festival in which Hamas terrorists entered Israel on hang gliders and shot many young civilians who were just enjoying a festival. And this is something that we are seeing more and more often is there are fewer protests in the name of Gazan civilians or Gaza in general, and you are seeing more and more people blatantly supporting and standing behind Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. And our college students in this country have been so manipulated, so brainwashed to believe that they are the good guys in this situation. Continuing on, there was a professor at Stanford who had Jewish students in his class take their belongings and stand in the corner of the room stating, this is what Israel does to Palestinians. And he continued on to ask, quote, how many Jews died in the Holocaust? And when a student answered with six million, he says, colonizers killed more than six million. Israel is a colonizer. At California State University, there were flyers put out for students against apartheid with imagery of the hang glider once again glorifying a horrific terrorist attack. There have been various marches with signs and sayings such as, quote, there is only one solution. And this is incredibly reminiscent of Nazi Germany, which is at the heart of what this hearing was attended to address. Similarly, with the chance of from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, I want to harp on this one for a moment. Because what's funny to me about this chant in particular is 
the number of videos I have seen of college students being asked from what river to what sea and the number of them who do not know is so emblematic of the mindlessness that we are seeing in our nation. They are being fed a narrative of this group is good and this group is bad and they are looking no further into it than that. But for those who don't know from what river to what sea, it is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And this is inherently a call for genocide because what lies in between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea? Israel. It is a call to extinguish the existence of Israel. And Hamas is not shy about this. Their leaders continuously say that they want all of the Jews in the area to be gone. They do not want Israel to exist. They go on news broadcasts and talk about this. It's, it's in their creed. And yet, here in America, we have mindless college students just chanting it down the street, thinking that they are really doing something. Thinking that they are really doing something. So overall, the theme of this hearing was tilting towards the university president's claims that they want to maintain free speech on campus. And that is the reason why that they cannot condemn these students who are openly calling for the genocide of Jews. They cannot condemn these students who are harassing Jewish students because free speech. Now, ordinarily, I would agree to an extent. I am a free speech absolutist, which has gotten a bit of a bad bad rap, so let me explain it very simply. We as Americans have the right to run our mouths in any way we want up to the point of directly calling for violence against another person. Put another way, what is outlined in the First Amendment is what goes. So this would look like somebody having the right to say that they hate Jews and even saying that they wish that they would die. But the moment that that switches to saying, let's go kill the Jews, it is no longer protected speech. As distasteful as the rhetoric on college campuses has been, as heinous as these pro-Hamas protests are, I just don't know that they necessarily cross that constitutional line. If we get into... If we get into the business of censoring speech that we don't like or find to be in bad taste, the people who hold those ideas don't vanish. They don't stop existing and nor do they stop holding those beliefs, they just go underground. And now, instead of having open dialogue and debates with these bad ideas, they fester unknowingly until they sprout back up more vile and more disturbed than before. And this is why I stand firmly by the fact that all speech is protected, even when that speech is vile and gross and hateful. But here's where it gets tricky. These Ivy League universities have a long-standing motto of speech is violence and have long been in the game of censorship on behalf of the left. So to now be saying that they want to uphold their students' right to freedom of speech is frankly a load of shit. They continually engage in censorship of speech for no other reason than that they dislike what is being said and it contradicts the pushed narrative. A great example of this was UPenn canceled a speech that was meant to be given from Riley Gaines, but because her speech is considered hateful in the eyes of the university administration, that speech got canceled. And what was her speech? That men shouldn't be allowed to compete in women's sports, even if those men grow out their hair and change their names to Leah. This is unacceptable on the UPenn campus. However... 
just last week, Dylan Mulvaney had an event for which he charges between twenty and $40,000 to do at UPenn in the exact same building that Gaines was supposed to give her speech but got canceled. The same admin at UPenn that canceled Gaines's event because it violates their code of conduct is refusing to say that calls for genocide on their campus against Jews goes against their code of conduct. Now, call me a turf. I'm sure people will. But a woman standing up and saying that men are not women is not hateful. However, advocating for the erasure of an entire country on behalf of a terrorist organization, that feels pretty hateful to me. Continuing on, at MIT, another one of the Ivy Leagues on the chopping block, there was a blockade created by pro-Hamas protesters earlier in November, intentionally preventing Jewish and Israeli students from attending class. In an open letter released by Israeli and Jewish MIT students, they state, quote, Today, Jewish and Israeli MIT students were physically prevented from attending class by a hostile group of pro-Hamas and anti-Israel MIT students that call themselves the CAA. This is after students from the CAA harassed MIT staff members in their offices for being Jewish and interrupted classes the past few weeks. All of this has occurred with no clear answer from the administration, end quote. This is just another example of the type of incidences that have spurred the hearings and MIT took no disciplinary action against any of these students. Now, this all begs the question of if these students have the constitutional right to have these protests, because that is what the presidents of the universities are claiming, that they haven't interfered because they don't want to impede on First Amendment rights, as if they give a shit about the First Amendment. There are a few things to consider, but mostly it comes down to the fact that it's not a public sector. And the university admin is ultimately in charge of what is and isn't allowable. But traditionally, if we compare it to the public sector, the government is incredibly limited in what they are able to restrict. But there are reasonable restrictions, such as blocking or stopping the flow of vehicular or pedestrian traffic which is what happened in this case. Interestingly, though, MIT had recently released a protest guidelines to which this pro-Palestinian group clearly violated and still received no disciplinary action. Jewish, stu- Jewish students can't get any attention or action from university administrations, yet almost all of our American universities have ample resources for LGBT people who feel hurt or offended, places to change their pronouns, and disciplinary actions in place for students who don't adhere to the pronoun police, including fines, suspensions, public humiliation, and denouncement, you name it. The problem here is hypocrisy. As a student, I can't acknowledge that that man in a dress is a man, but other students can protest against Israel's right to exist. And again, it is my stance that both should be allowed. Or I guess since it is a private sector, they could elect to have neither, not allow either one to happen. However, that does seem contrary to what a university is meant to provide. But the point is, is it can't just be one of the two, and it is. Earlier this year, Harvard released a new policy on anti-bullying, and here are some of the protected attributes that one is not allowed to be bullied for. Race, age, ancestry, political beliefs, which (laughs) we all know damn well. There is no protection for right-leaning political beliefs on college campuses, but... That's super beside the point. I digress. Um, 
your sex, your gender identity, yada yada. But what is also on this list is national origin and religion. So one would think that protests against Israeli and Jewish students would directly violate this policy. But the president of the university sat in front of Congress claiming it was dependent upon context. All of that is insane, but the light at the end of the tunnel is that there have been mass calls for all three of these women to resign. And two of them have now put out actual statements condemning anti-Semitism, something they didn't seem to be able to do during the hearing. But I guess if you get enough flack after the math... And a major donor for UPenn, Ross Stevens, actually put out a letter threatening to withdraw a $100 million donation if President McGill's does not resign. In his letter, he discusses his company's longstanding policy of no tolerance for harassment and discrimination. He goes on to disclose UPenn holdings in the company approximating $100 million that he holds the ability to revoke if the shareholder quote, violates our firm's rules in a way that injures our business, reputation, character, or standing, unquote. He goes on to say, quote, over the past few months, Penn President Liz McGill has enabled and encouraged anti-Semitism and a climate of fear and harassment at Penn. Further, at a congressional hearing earlier this week, Ms. McGill made her personal view that any Penn professors or students who call for genocide against Jews do not violate Penn's code of conduct. As a proud Penn alum, as father of a recent Penn grad, and also of a current junior, and on behalf of my beloved university, I can state that Liz McGill is wrong. Calls for genocide against any group do, in fact, violate Penn's code of conduct. More importantly, such calls most definitely violate Stone Ridge's code of conduct. He concludes with, quote, Absent a change in leadership and values at Penn in the very near future, I plan to rescind Penn's Stone Ridge shares to prevent any further reputational and other damage to Stone Ridge as a result of our relationship with Penn and Liz McGill. I love Penn. It is important to me, but our firm's principles are more important, end quote. And as of this past Saturday, Liz McGill has has officially resigned. So I think that we do need to be taking the wins where we see them. And this is a huge win. And as of today, which is Sunday, Harvard is holding a board meeting. So we will see if anything comes up from that. And just one final note on this story and the utter debauchery of our country. After all of this, after this is all said and done, the chronically unfunny people at SNL put out a skit portraying Congresswoman Stefanik, who was the one who questioned these university presidents and made her out to look like she is the fool. The skit portrayed the university presidents as composed and rational and Stefanik as a raging nut. A hearing in which three separate Ivy League presidents could not condemn calls for genocide on their campus, but the person asking the questions is the crazy one. Absolute clown world. Absolute clown world. So if you thought we were done talking about Congress, unfortunately we are not. There was another important hearing this week that I feel needs to be discussed. I don't generally like to talk about Congress hearings and the going-ons of the Hill, but these two carry heavy weight on the culture front. That is definitely worth 
our time and worth discussing. So, so along with the university hearings, there was another hearing regarding Title IX. Over the last decade or so, there has been a lot of back and forth with different administrations changing and rechanging the verbiage of Title IX. Title IX in its original form is very short and it reads, quote, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal finance assistance. And it was signed into law by President Nixon in 1972. The intent behind this was to provide women the same opportunities that men have in things such as collegiate sports. Now, last year, the Biden administration announced its intent to update Title IX from saying on the basis of sex to the basis of gender identity, which would obviously mean that men claiming to be women can enter into women's sports and spaces and defeat the entire purpose of Title IX. So Congress had four witnesses, Riley Gaines, Sarah Perry, Kim Russell, and Fatima Ghost Graves, come give their testimonies and discuss their own expertise on the changing of Title IX. And let me tell y'all, this was contentious out the gate. So unlike the university hearing, this one, while it is still incredibly important, there's a lot more humor to be found in this hearing, in my own personal opinion. All right, so most of you probably already know who Riley Gaines is. She was the collegiate swimmer who swam against Leah Thomas, formerly known as Will Thomas, the massive man who decided to identify as a girl and dominate the NCAA. Gaines was actually able to tie Thomas in one race, but the judges gave the trophy to Thomas anyways because he needed to be the one to hold it in the photos, proving the point that this is solely about optics and virtue signaling, and nobody actually believes that Will Thomas is a woman. So during the hearing, the four women made their opening statements, and Congresswoman Lee made a remark in her opening statement that the testimonies were transphobic. Because, as we know, acknowledging biological truths is transphobic. But Gaines was very quick to retort this by stating, If my opening statement makes me transphobic, then your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. So Congresswoman Lee, upon hearing this, actually made an attempt to get this struck from the record. But thankfully, this was to no avail which is so emblematic of the left as a whole, spewing vitriolic words like racist, transphobic, what have you, and completely stripping them of any sincere meaning. But when you fire back with an accurate accusation, they just deflect and ignore. Gaines continued on to make another excellent point, stating, quote, if you just look at the examples recently, we do not see females entering male sports and dominating. This is only happening in one direction, and that is with males entering into women's sports and dominating, which is obviously true, and anyone who isn't wearing a mask over their eyes can see why. So one highlight from this hearing is that we get to talk about the perpetually nightmarish Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This moron gave the following statement, quote, I've spent a decent amount of my time here in Congress sitting through panels and hearings of men attempting to restrict the rights of women and telling us that it's for our own good, unquote. So when I initially heard these words come out of her mouth, I thought hell hath frozen over and she was seeing how discriminatory this proposal was against women. But the moron continues on. She says, quote, 
but I want to dive more deeply into why this issue targeting trans women in sports is particularly problematic, not just for trans girls, but for all of us, end quote. These two sentences were said back to back, ladies and gentlemen, and it still did not penetrate her thick skull that these two sentences are completely antithetical to one another. She continues to discuss how the trans population does not even exceed 1% of our population, and she is correct. Her point is, so why are we focusing on them? Our point is, so why are we changing definitions, rewriting laws, and completely upending the way our society has always functioned? We are having this discussion because it is her caucus, the progressive left, that is insisting on doing things such as changing Title IX from saying sex, meaning protection for females, to saying gender identity, meaning no more protection for females. Because how would there be? If anyone can identify as a woman, then the, wo- then the word woman means nothing. And if sex and gender can be interchanged in such a fundamental circumstance such as a law, the word female means nothing. And that isn't nothing. And you want to sit up there and say, why do you care? Why are you noticing? Maybe because you're doing a really significant thing. She goes on, quote, we are talking about opening up all women and girls to genital examinations when they are underage, potentially just because someone can point to them and say, I don't think you're a girl, end quote. Again, are you out of your mind? There's a lot to digest here. But first and foremost, why are we in such a weird and twisted position that this concern is being raised? This is a shot in the dark, but maybe, just maybe, it's the people who said it's okay for men to go into women's spaces. Maybe that's why we're here. Second, I don't think genital examinations are going to be taking place, especially not for underage children, because here's the thing. 99.999% of the time, we can tell who is a man and who is a woman just by glancing at them. I know that this is a reality that people like AOC like to deny, but that does not make it any less of a reality. And third, this is in reference to an Ohio bill that was proposed and withdrew that proposed proving um, their sex with a signed physician statement, including information about their reproductive anatomy, testosterone levels, and an analysis of their genetic makeup. And this was replaced with the decision to provide the original birth certificate instead. And that seems completely fair. Prove your birth certificate, and that can be the end of it. However, the description of this exam sounds to me like a standard physical, which is something that most athletes have to get regardless. But, you know, AOC is dense. But that is all that I have for you guys today. There isn't much else to discuss in terms of the Title IX hearing, so I will keep you guys updated. It's probably going to go ahead and get a change to gender identity because... Because we are run by a bunch of lunatics. But aren't we so glad the adults are back in the building? But I appreciate you guys tuning in this week and giving the show a listen. If you enjoyed, please give it a rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. And we will chat next Monday. Bye. Bye.